Being real by definition means presenting yourself in a way that is true and honest. Hallelujah, you have come to the right podcast. Welcome to Real Talk with Rebecca, where we will get real. We dive into real issues that are affecting our personal world. We will discuss real solutions to cause real results so we can live an authentic life full of purpose and joy. We will talk about everything and maybe throw in the kitchen sink. We will grow together and we're going to communicate ourselves in a real and lasting way. It's Real Talk and I'm your host, Rebecca Mastin. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Real Talk with Rebecca. Uh, this month is the month of October and it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month and I promised that I would be bringing stories of survivors, stories of those that have overcome the traumatic effects of domestic violence from childhood abuse to adult uh, abuse to marital abuse. I mean, anything and everything in between. Everyone knows someone that's been affected by abuse. Um, today is no different. I'm going to uh, have an in-depth interview with a very good friend of mine. Uh, this is going to probably be a two or three part podcast series uh, just because there's so much to unpack and there's so much that uh, this friend of mine has to share with those that are listening that maybe be walk may be walking through what she's been through and I think her um, message is so invaluable and has so much uh, impact that uh, overcoming is possible it may take one year two years ten years five years twenty it, it, everybody's on their own journey and we're here to share the journeys of those survivors so I want to welcome to our show a friend of mine that I've known probably for 11 years now and she is just this amazing woman, this go-getter, this uh, strong, uh, my word that I use to describe her in a nutshell is steadfast. She's a steadfast, faith-filled woman, um, cowgirl, uh, mom, grandmother. She kind of does it all, ministry. And so I want to welcome her to the show. That is Miss Jamie Deering. Jamie, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Hi, Becky. Good morning. Now, Good morning. The- the funny thing about Jamie and I is uh, we, we go back a few years, and Jamie, I, I appreciate our relationship so much because uh, we really have become like sisters. And oh, truly, truly, truly. You, you and I have walked a road, that is for sure. And we'll get into that down the road in another podcast. But Jamie, um, I really want to dive in this morning um, because... First of all, I, I'm going to have you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and where you come from, but that's really kind of where your story begins. Like me, you were a child witness to domestic violence, um, but you also experienced it yourself as a child. So you have a little bit of a deeper understanding, I think, of the effects and um, how important it is that we discuss this topic and we really open up that, that you know, tear off that Band-Aid and just look, be open about it because if we don't talk about it, we won't produce the resources available to help uh, those uh, situations change and maybe end, end this thing that we call abuse because it's such a learned behavior. So if you would, my dear sweet friend, <laughs> share share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and you know, let's take this first podcast and focus on child domestic violence, witnessing child domestic violence, or domestic violence as a child. And let's unpack that a little bit because that really sets the foundation, I believe, for where our life and journey goes if we don't correct course. So I'll I'll turn it over to you. Well, Becky, thank you. It's such an honor to uh, be on, on your show and just to be part of your life. You are such a driving force and support in my life. I love and appreciate you so very much, and I'm so grateful 
that God brought you into my life because we have been on a journey. And like you, I grew up um, as a cowgirl in the rodeo industry. I'm originally from Bosque Farms, New Mexico. Grew up in a small little town just south of Albuquerque and was blessed to grow up in an amazing atmosphere of the cowboy culture. Um, Lived down the road from Olin Young, a world champion steer tripper, and, and was around world champions sitting around our table um, all throughout my life. And, you know, I, as a kid, took that for granted. Um, and now that I look back, especially when I am had been in rodeo education for the last 20 years, um, I, I don't take that for granted now because our culture is so special and, and um, so unique. And, and it's our heritage, where you and I come from, is what ties us together as sisters, but also in the Lord. And and um, so I have done a lot of things in my life. I, I grew up rodeoing, junior and high school rodeo, peewee rodeo. Um, was blessed to be part of that culture. Went to college, and um, we'll get into part of that story, but my, my dad wasn't wasn't into me college rodeoing. He told me to leave my horse at home and, and um, concentrate on the books and and uh, I went to college rodeo uh, went to rodeo went to college at Eastern New Mexico University and mm-hmm. of course all the kids that I had junior and high school rodeoed with were there and so you know I was in the practice pen right along with them I just didn't get to enter the rodeos so anyway that was kind of a bummer but I fell in love with the rodeo cowboy um, because everybody else were like my brothers right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I have three older brothers and a younger sister, and my dad was a second-generation cowboy. My grandfather was a turtle and uh, cheesy deering, and, and my gra- my dad was part of the RCA before the PRCA was incorporated in 1974 to the Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association. So daddy was part of the Rodeo Cowboys Association, and he was part of the Military Rodeo Association back in the oh. 50s, which is a neat part of history. And um, anyway, uh, you know, I grew up in that lifestyle, and and in that lifestyle, um, I I can see it now as an adult, especially that I'm in my going to be late fifties here, <laughs> um, see things differently. I've had a lot of therapy though, Beck. I have had a lot of therapy throughout my life because of the childhood abuse and. I never until the last probably 10, 12 years found people that were able to help me unpack that garbage, unpack that stuff that I had literally stuffed in my spirit, in my being, and carried it around part as a badge of honor in our cowboy culture, (laughs) strangely Mm -hmm. enough. I'm going to call it that because there's a lot of pride to it. Um, We are told... Uh, back when I was growing up, children are to be seen and not heard. We were told um, cowboys don't cry. You don't show your emotion. If you get buffed off, you get right back on. And I I appreciate the lessons and perseverance, but some of those lessons, too, as a child, especially when you got a, a lot of junk going on in, at home in an alcoholic, abusive home, um, where everybody is just, it's like mama herded cats all the time. It was, it was, uh, she did her best to do organized chaos, 
um, we had a lot of people running in and out of our house. Um, I loved my mother. She passed away last year in June, and she was a trooper. She um, she had a saying, Becky, in the New Mexico culture, mi casa es su casa. So if in the rodeo world there was someone that needed a place to stay, they were always um, blessed to stay at our house on Abel Road in Bosque Farms. And uh, that brings a lot of emotion. Um, it does. It does. I, I You've been, I mean, that was, I know, and we'll we'll go into that as these episodes progress, but I know that when your mama passed, that was, um, I think a lot of women, even men, when they have to go back and they have passed away their, their trauma and they have to go back and care for their elder parents that were part of that experience but was so normalized back in their generation. Oh, yes. That... Yeah, that you really have to you really have to deal with it, and you have to confront that little girl, that little boy inside of you, and those emotions are right there as if they happened yesterday. And I, I want to touch on something because you said that you said about how we're in our culture, you know, we're raised to children are seen, not heard. Uh, we're raised to suck it up or be tough or cowgirls, cowboys don't cry or get up and dust your heels off. And I think the work ethic and the motive behind it is useful in the respect that that it taught us to be tough because back then when they were growing up, they had to be tough because times were so, so different and their their way of life was so different than we are today. But something that I wanted to read real quick um, is and share with our audience, it's, you know, an article from American Family Physician. And it says that witnessing domestic violence can lead children to develop an array of age-dependent negative effects. Research in this area is focused on the cognitive, behavioral, and emotional effects of domestic violence. Children who witness violence in the home and children who are abused may display many similar psychological effects. These children are at greater risk for eternalized behaviors, such as anxiety, depression, and for externalized behaviors such as fighting, bullying, lying, or cheating. They also may be more disobedient at home and at school and more likely to have social competence problems such as poor school performance, difficulty in relationships, and, and the like. Child witnesses display inappropriate attitudes about violence and sometimes the means of resolving conflict and indica- they can indicate a greater willingness to use violence themselves. So what caught me as I had read that earlier this morning and as I was listening to you talking is that how you you packed it all in because of the way we were raised in our in our culture. Mm-hmm. And we love our culture. We love yes. the Western way of life and it's a great yes. culture. But I think when you come from a home that has these, as you described, organized chaos along with the abuse, although those intentions are meant well for a a culture of working hard, getting things done, raised on a ranch, taking care of things that need to be taken care of, it's also in a, meant in a, if it was a perfect setting, it wouldn't be used to misconstrue what's also going on in the home, which then leads to the packing it and shoving it and suppressing it down. Would that be fair to say? Oh, definitely. It was, um, it was told quite often, well, we're just going to sweep that one under the carpet. You know, something would happen and, you know, it was it was told to me, you know, if I came to an adult, you know, um, complaining or, or they called it tattling, but sharing, you know, that I was abused by, you know, or I was hurt by um, an, another adult, um, specifically my dad or, um, 
you know, I had some rounds with some cousins and different things. Um, if, if I, if I came to someone in authority in my life, um, I was told, well, we're just going to sweep that one under the carpet. Um, mm. you, need to, you need to just toughen up. You're so sensitive. I was told as a child all the time, you're just too sensitive. And I'm grateful to be sensitive because I believe that's a spirit gift that I have because I can hear the Holy Spirit. I can feel the Holy Spirit. And without that sensitivity, there's a lot of people that can't. And so I'm an empath. I was designed by God to be an empath. I can literally feel people's pain if I'm close to them. Oh, and I got to touch on that too. And when you say that, uh, something that I've been learning as – being involved in, you know, just speaking out about domestic violence is those people with those gifts of it being an empath. And really they can, they could, if you don't understand those giftings, they can either be a gifting or they, you know, blessing or cursing, depending upon how you look at it. But I have found people with that gifting, especially women, they're typically the ones that you find repeating the relationship cycle from one, from what they call the, the, pan to the fire to the frying frying pan or something like that because you go you feel you feel the need to fix you feel the need to help you feel the because you feel everybody's and it's that sensitivity and that desire to help um they end up in other relationships after they leave one abusive relationship they get into another and it's just that it continues in a, a vicious cycle and i know that from my life choices um my own personal life choices i've seen it in other women um that i'm close to but I'm going to come from uh, me and I perspective mm-hmm. today and take full responsibility for my choices. As a child, though, um, I had some trauma early on. At um, nine years old, my hero died tragically in a truck accident. My grandfather, Cheesy Deering, who's a New Mexico rodeo icon, was killed loading bulls up for the New Mexico State Fair into one of his cattle trucks. And... Um, he put the ladder up, you know, put the ramp up, but forgot to close the gate, and a bull turned on him and and fell on him and and mm-hmm. and crushed him and and so um processing that you know i i well I was nine years old, Becky <clears throat> I had just seen him at Pruitt at the big by county fair, I'd won grand champion lamb, I was this nine year old kid that was flying high on a cloud had all this attention and you know as a as a kid i was the fourth of five children i don't i'm I'm just stating like birth order and stuff like that because yeah I'm, I'm not coming from a place of blame or anything like that i i'm really come to peace with so much of my childhood and and it's important that listeners hear that because as a minister i've been told as a minister before and i've been told as a cowgirl before within my family circle you know, you don't want to bring those skeletons out of the closet. You don't want to um, <clears throat> be careful how you share your testimony and who you share your testimony with because they can use it against you. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being very bold and courageous today and very – You are because that's so true. Because that is going to be like the premise of my holy crap book. I'm an author. Cowgirl Devotions is a book that I wrote, and I have – many books that will be published soon of cowgirl devotions and it talks about my life and 
and how I've overcome through the power of Jesus Christ to to cope with this dark world. And we live in a dark world. But I, I've been told by ministers, by mentor ministers, now you be careful. I've been told by family. And so I, I'm blowing the doors open because there are listeners in our community, in our culture, Becky, some of our friends are listening, some of our families listening, but also in our sphere of influence throughout pro rodeo and um and amateur rodeo in our region and throughout the nation we're we're well known with our last names and and so I want to tell people that they have the permission <laughs> to give themselves permission to number one to get help number two to speak up and and to stop hiding and stop suffering. Um, a lot of it we I shoved down as a child and my subconscious, it became my subconscious. So I was just running on on those emotions that I had stuffed and not even knowing as a kid, but at nine years old, I'll never forget when my uncle came to my school and I had my grand champion ribbon to take for show and tell. And he said, Jamie Ann, you need to get in the car. And I didn't know what was happening, and nobody would say what was happening until we got to Grandma and Grandpa's house in Albuquerque that my I thought my mom or dad had died. Um, and there was thousands of people around. Literally, the road was lined with people that day, and, and it was a sea of people, and all I wanted was my mama. And then, you know, cousins, kids don't understand to filter they don't have a filter and so they're just like running and playing and I'm like what the hell happened and I said it like that I'm like what the hell happened somebody tell me this is nuts you know nine-year-old kids old enough to understand that right as naive as I was and they're like grandpa got killed I'm like he got killed you know (laughs) what and and then they told me the gory story and and I literally fell in the driveway just bawling, screaming, mama, mama, you know. That has an impact on a child, especially as a special you, – your Grandpa Bobby was a very, very special man like my granddad Cheesy was. And he made such an impact on so many people, and he made an impact on this little cowgirl's life. And I was like – my head was spinning and so I had been around alcohol my whole entire life. Um, the the crowd that my folks run around with, again, no blame, no shame, no guilt. That's just the way that it was back then. Right, right. I had two sober people in my life, my mother and um, and my aunt. My grandma, she was a little teetotaler. She liked to social drink a little bit. She wasn't an alcohol uh, alcoholic, but, but she liked to have a little nip every once in a while. right. Um, Totally stone sober were were two women in my life that were my rock. And I'm very grateful that I had at least someone that wasn't an alcoholic or that, that drank on a regular basis because it was prevalent in our home. It was prevalent in the circles that we ran in. Um, there was always a cooler and a pickup. There was always, you know, a, a bottle on the table at dinner time. You know, it, it yep. just was there. And so... I have to say that that became my crutch at nine years old because the first thing I did was ran and 
grabbed a bottle of Jim Bean that Grandpa always had around, and I chugged it. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I, I know we talked about that, but I didn't I realize. I it, knew you drank, but I didn't I realize like, at nine. I, I, I chugged it and was like, okay, I got calm, and then I went and played with my cousins, you know. And people were bringing food, and we ate like kings, you know, for seemed like weeks on end. Um, but then when we got home after, you know, the big long funeral and stuff and everything, uh, I was driving at nine years old. I've learned to drive. We, I used to pull our show calves, our 4-H calves, in my grandpa's old stepside GMC pickup, and we tied them to the bumper, and that's how we halter broke them and <laughs> got them to walk. And we went around the neighborhood and and so I I learned how to drive and and I was driving and we had a bar packaged liquor store in Bosque Farms New Mexico and Daddy would say Hey sis run down to the Sidewinder and and get me a, a six pack Well I learned to become a liar very early in my age because I would run over there and you know I kind of liked the taste of that stuff and it was helping me numb the pain and it was helping me. I didn't understand what it was helping me cope, but it was helping numb the pain because I was in so much pain. And we weren't allowed to talk about it. Hmm. We weren't allowed to say, I feel sad because my granddaddy died. And that had to be so hard at nine years old. Then to come home, when and because I know for for my brother and I, after my mom and dad had split up and my mom had remarried, and she was in that abusive relationship with, not to say that there wasn't instances with my mom and dad, because there were. I look back now and I see instances of the fighting and some of the fights that they had where I would classify that as, yeah, there was some domestic violence on both sides. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, yeah. back, in the, back in that day, they both raised their fists to each other and said, bring it on. Because that's just kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it was a generational thing or what, but it was minimal compared to what we experienced. Um, and what I remember the most, which was that my ex-stepfather. Yes. And I know that Grandpa was that person for us. He was that, that rock for us, he, especially for my brother. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I, I can't imagine at nine years old what that did to you, knowing what when Grandpa passed, what it did to my brother. Because he was my brother, my Grandpa was my brother's whole world when we yes. were living in that situation. And I remember still to this day, you know, when I talk to my brother, he'll say, to me, sometimes it just feels like when Grandpa died, Rodeo died. And so he yeah. just kind of closed that door because that was everything to him. So him dealing with that as an adult, I can't imagine, you know, what you dealt with in the midst of dealing with your home life and everything that was going on at home. Well, my siblings didn't know how to handle it. You know, I had older siblings, older brothers, a younger sister. Uh, my little sister was just, uh, uh, she was like four, um, so she was little. And, you know, you're you're trying to soothe her. You're trying to help her. Um, my, he was my oldest brother's absolute hero. When my brother, my brother was a talented, my oldest brother, Bobby, was a talented calf roper. Talented. Very talented. My dad and grandpa both were calf ropers in, in his in their shoes, he he was going that direction. In that, there was a lot of abuse with that. And so at, I don't know, 14 or 15, Bobby wanted to 
start riding bulls, and Grandpa and Daddy were completely animate about him not riding bulls. And um, I'll never forget at the Boys Ranch Rodeo, um, he entered one of his first bull ridings, and my dad, you know, it was it was a bad situation. Told him, no, you're not gonna you're not going to do this. And, and he goes, I'm getting on. I paid for my own entry fees. I'm getting on. And he said, well, he says, if you get hurt, you're going to still rope, still rope your calf. He says, or I'm going to beat the tar out of you. And I, I remember that conversation. And I was, I was five at that time. Bobby was 15. Wow. And, um, oops, sorry, my alarm went off. Bobby, uh, not to, it's his story to share, but sharing my remembrances of that, he hurt his his ankle in the bull riding pretty bad, and you know showed it to mama, and you know there wasn't sports medicine back then. <laughs> this was right. New Mexico Junior Rodeo, you know, out in the middle of nowhere at Boys Ranch, New Mexico, and <laughs> so, uh, we got on. And I'll never forget because we've got a picture of it. We literally have a picture. You can see as Bobby's throwing his slack, he's wincing because his leg is hurt and he's got to step off. Mm. And when he stepped off, he received a compound fracture really bad. And as a little kindergartner, I was right at my little grandson, my youngest grandson's age. I remember that, and the trauma of putting everybody in the old Estel station wagon, left our horses, I don't know what happened to them, aunt and uncles or somebody took care of them, but unhooked the horse trailer and off we hauled butt to Albuquerque to get Bobby to the hospital, and him screaming. Well... And so, and then you go, so there, there's a trauma at a very, very pivotal age, and then there's trauma when I'm nine, and of course, when it's around the home, that was my choice. I wasn't told alcohol was bad for you. You don't do that. I was like, here, you want to sip? You know? Right. So, oh, uh, <laughs> it was like, here. It was everywhere. I mean, it's a, I it's mean. A, it's a hot day. There's nothing better than a cold beer on a hot day, and so here, have a sip. And then there's there's the infamous do as I say, not as I do. And so I think we got that a lot growing up. So I think, I mean, I know obviously parents only know what they know and they only have the skills that they, you know, tools in their toolbox that they have to parent. And there is no real uh, guide to parenting. But I just think, I think it's so important. I think for me, one of the things as in dealing with child, witnessing child, um, Witnessing violence as a child is that sometimes their parents, because it's so normal to them, and looking back now, I see that, but I, I didn't see it for many, 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 many years, like many, many years. I think as I got healed and as after Gray and I got married, I could look back with different lenses because my lenses yeah. had changed. Yeah. And and I could see the generational things, but it was the, you know, like you said earlier, I take full responsibility. Yeah. That generation just didn't. They just no. didn't take responsibility. They didn't see that the things that they did to us or in front of us had an impact. Yeah. And that impact wasn't always necessarily positive. And 
and to not take accountability and say, I'm sorry that I, I, please forgive me for putting you in that situation. Please forgive me for allowing that into your life. And how powerful those words alone can change someone's soul and help them heal. Because then they can be, you know, they can recognize, okay, it it hurt back then, but at least that, that little girl, that little boy can say, okay, they said they were sorry and they mean it. Where they're, you're kind of just poo-pooed off as a kid. Eh, you know, quiet, go over there. You, you know, we don't talk about that. We don't need to talk about that. So that's something that I'm realizing it too, just as we grow and we change, is that, that generational, it's a, the thought process and, and the mindset behind it. And I think, Jamie, I know with you, and, and maybe share with our, our listeners if you would, I mean, not only did you deal with an alcoholic or alcoholism, rather, yourself and within your family, um, you know, you started you started that to cope with your grandfather's death and that trauma experience. But how did that progress? Because not only did you witness your dad abuse your mother, yes, and I, I don't know if we've ever talked about if he abused your other siblings, but I know yes. he physically and, if I'm correct, uh, also sexually assaulted you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And... And, and I know it's a touchy subject, but I know you're willing to take that Band-Aid off and share those experiences. Yeah. And, and I think it's important because it's such a testament to know that although what happened to you wasn't okay, you're okay. Yes, I am okay. And and I, I'll, I'll share how I got okay with that um, as, as we end our conversation. But um, I'm not going to share any more of my brother's stories of um, – I think it's evident that they were also abused, and and I'll just leave it at that because it's their story to share, out of respect for them. Mm-hmm. Because to this day, we don't talk about. It. Well, I hope time will change that as we go. Well, slowly but I, slow, slowly but surely. The emotion that's coming up is, um, because. They haven't chose to deal with it, but they're still my my. This is emotion as an empath, but they they're still dealing with a lot of it. And since we lost Mama, some of that's compounded. Mm. And I I pray for my brothers and and for my sister and for the unity of our family. So. Um, not to keep focusing on that. I'm okay. This is coming from a place of my heart hurts. That it's so common, though. They're not willing to get the help. They're not willing to get the help, and I've and I've lit the path to show them where the help is, especially with the treatments that I've had, because mm-hmm. if I hadn't had um, the eye desensitization, uh, I movement desensitization reprocessing the EMDR treatments I would not have been able to go back to our childhood home I would not have been able to live in our childhood home where all that abuse happened and to have been sane through it and to have been strong through it and to have been able to minister to our mother in her last days and to have been walking on the other side whole in that and knowing that I am okay, I will be okay, and my prayer is that they will too. They get to choose, just like I got to choose. 
And I'm not standing in judgment. I'm, 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 I'm pleading that they will get the help that they need for their part of their journey because it's not healthy for any of us. We, we, re, we react from a place of subconscious and a place of hurt because we packed all that crap for so long and we have short tempers or um, we might react out of some addiction in some way, not just talking about my siblings, but people in general. Right. Um, because of that becomes the coping mechanism, denial and just stuffing it and not talking about it and ignoring it becomes a coping mechanism. And it is not healthy for your mental being, for your spiritual being, or for your physical being. Um, I do not want to grow up to be a grumpy old woman that is carrying around all this garbage and all this baggage with me. God called me to minister to young girls and women and to teach about our Western culture and our Western way of life. And I'm so very honored that he chose me to do that. Um, and all that I went through, Becky, was part of my story. Um, I posted something on my personal Facebook page yesterday or the day before. Um, I'll, I'll read it for our listeners in case they're not friends of mine on Facebook. It ministered to a lot of people, though, um, and and I was blessed to be able to share it. Um, I believe this was a, uh, it was either Marie Waldrop or Jim Bob Custer posted this. I can't remember which one um, of our personal friends and family. Right. It, um, it said, nothing can happen without God's permission. And God will not allow difficulty unless he has a divine purpose for it. I want people to hear that. Mm. If you will keep your peace, now, as adults, we can we can tap into that. If you will keep your peace, you'll pass the test, and God will bring you out better than you were before. But it's important, parents, please listen, parents and grandparents, please listen to my heart. Children are 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 loving, and and Jesus said to have childlike faith. And so they're running around with these blinders. They don't know what the heck's going on in life. They're just <laughs> loving the adventure. Isn't that so true? They're living, they're innocent, and they yes. need to be protected. And their innocence needs to be protected, folks. My innocence was not protected. And there's no blame, there's no shame around that. But I was an innocent little girl that experienced some serious trauma and did not know and I'm just going to say it like an old cowgirl would, because I'm an old cowgirl now. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell peace looked like until just a few years ago. I woke up in my motorhome, and it was quiet, and I felt like I was wrapped in this warm blanket. And this is before I went back to New Mexico to care for Mama. I was in the process of my second divorce, and we'll talk about that like Becky said in another episode, but it was, it was, it was springtime and it was like I was wrapped in this warm blanket and it was just, there was peace. But honestly, honestly, I did not know what that looked like. 
I did not know what that felt like because chaos was my driving force for all Mm. those years. I knew how to manage chaos. I have friends that say when you're in a tight spot, when there's a death in the family, when there's crap going on and the world's falling apart, you call Jamie Daring because she'll pray for you and she'll help help you fix the problem. That's right, because you're steadfast. I was a chaos manager for many, many years, but it drove me. The drama drove me, and Mm. I didn't know what that looked like. That's why I chose in my marriages the men that I chose. That's why I chose some of the friendships that I chose. That's why I chose some of the things that I chose, because Drama feeds drama, and chaos feeds chaos. And I didn't know what the heck peace looked like until I was like 53 years old. Pay attention to that because that's not very long ago, ladies and gentlemen. No. And so I've been able to live with a peace and a joy, but it was after I received these EMDR treatments because it was a, what happened was and you can do research, just Google EMDR, it, it reprocessed. I can remember what happened to me. I can remember the memory of that, but it no longer has control over me and traumatizes me with the PTSD, the post-traumatic syndrome stress disorder that I had that literally ran me for 53 years of my life. Well, and Jamie, one thing I want to ask you as someone who's walked through this, and because I think the goal would be let's not let it take that long. Let's not let it be this part in your life to, to get to the other side. And I think, I think one of the key points I want to touch on on this episode before we wind down and, uh, we'll, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, we'll, we'll continue this podcast. This will be a two, three part series. But I think it's important to look at, as you were reading that post, I think it was probably from Marie, I'm not sure, but where God doesn't allow anything to happen to you and and without God's permission. And I think there's a lot of people out there, believers and non-believers alike, that would say, well, why would he let that happen to a child? And I think it's important to to address, you know, from a minister standpoint, knowing the word and knowing what you've walked through, I think you can speak to that directly. But also the other part of that is... um, when children, because of trauma and, and the nature of trauma and the nature of suppression and without parents that understand what's truly going on, because I know I walked through that in my own life with my with one of my children where I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I, I could see the signs, but I couldn't, I could never get a clear picture of what was truly going on until they came to me and shared with me what had happened. So how do we help a, someone like someone at your age if you do well, you did you did express you did say this and this and this, but how how do we help a child through it and get you know get them the help? Um, how am I wanting to word this so that they don't pack, backpack it for thirty forty years? Well, how do we get that child to speak question. up? I think the first step, the first step, is awareness, so, and that's why I'm sharing my heart and and being vulnerable and sharing today. Because um, I know there's some listeners that are are dealing with this and they don't know what to do. They don't know the step to take. And the very first thing is awareness and admitting that there's stuff going on in your home, folks. Like, let's be real here. 
and let's like let's walk in some honesty and some truth because let's not let it go on another generation. Yes. Take responsibility, parents and grandparents, please, 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 for the children's sake and for your own sakes, you deserve peace. You deserve joy. You deserve wholeness and healing. And you don't know what that looks like. You can't even. It's like I said, I didn't know what the hell it looked like until three years ago. You cannot begin to know what it looks like yep. until you admit that there's something going on. You've got to quit sweeping it under the carpet. And I'm just going to be that frank with you. Just stop it. And right. And Just stop well, it. The madness has to stop. I can well, get on the soapbox as a minister and go, <laughs> this is crap, folks. It needs to stop. The the garbage that's happening because as a school teacher, you know, I was a school teacher for a while, and the kids are so broken, and, and that was um, 15, 16 years ago when I was in public school. I could not handle it as an empath because I felt the children's pain, yeah. and it made me physically ill every day. And I had to quit for my own health's sake because I wanted to rescue all of those kids. And right. And, well, and speaking of that, I mean, just so, so the listeners know, I mean, there's so many indicators. You talked about, you know, yeah. awareness. Well, it, it, if you can go on, I mean, Internet, for most people, Internet's pretty accessible, and you can look up the signs and symptoms. And just to run through a few of them, for preschool children, you can see a lack, uh, they have lack of feelings of safety. They have separation and stranger anxiety, regression behaviors. They have insomnia. Uh, school-age children, some of the uh, school-age children effects for witnessing it, not just being a part of it, but just even in just witnessing abuse. There's self-blame, there's somatic complaints, there's aggressive behaviors, regressive. Uh, and then you look at the teens, and there's truancy, delinquency, substance abuse, early sexual activity. And then I think two of the really strong indicators, because I remember these are some that I had, some of the symptoms I had is, Constant abdominal pain and headaches yeah. and then yeah. poor school performance because our brain and our gut are so connected. It's our first and second brain. So pay attention to those behaviors in young children, and I think it's important to listen. We've got to start listening to our kids. we got to listen, and we, we're so busy. I was a busy mom when my kids were growing up. We were running to soccer and to baseball and to 4-H and and, you know, PTA meetings, and, and I worked at that time, goodness, I worked 80-hour weeks, and um, my kids were, you know, a lot of times they were with other adults that were caring for them, or they were latchkey kids when they got a little bit older, meaning they were responsibly home and care for themselves until mama got home. Um, but what I want to say is another key is to slow down. Yes. And to be with the art and the skill of learning to be with people and listening to them with an open heart, with an open mind, and letting them share their truth. Whether you believe their truth or not is not up to you. Right. You need to listen with an open heart and don't try to fix it. Men, men, will you listen to me, please? Gentlemen, your wives and your daughters and your children don't want you necessarily to right then in the moment when they are sharing their heart with you to fix the problem. 
I'm so guilty of that. (laughs) They want to just be heard and to be valued. When a person is not heard, and mothers and grandmothers, we get to be, be better at this. Be better, do better, right? Fathers, sons and daughters, we all get to be better, do better. When a person doesn't feel valued and their feelings or their concerns are not heard, friends, listen to your friends. They will give you warning signs. They will give you white and red flags and yellow flags and sometimes rainbow flags. And if you're just in your own junk, worried about your own stuff, and going through your own life, what kind of friend are we being? What kind of people are we being? We've got to wake up. The enemy has put a a veil of deception over people, and in the church is well. That'll be another episode. In the <laughs> church, it is there's blinders on, and people don't want to share because they don't want to be gossiped about. They don't right. want to go. I I went to church years ago to the altar to pray and had someone interceding with me. And within less than 24 hours, it was spread all over the community. Mm. People, that's a sin. Knock it off. Yep. Especially if you're a believer. Just stop it. Okay, well, that'll be another episode. Well, Jamie, don't want to get on that soapbox today, but take the time. Be with the people in your life. God has blessed you with amazing people in your life. And um, my my former father-in-law used to have a famous saying, Bill Coker. He used to say, God gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth for a reason. Yep. Let's pay attention with our eyes. Let's see things. You know, notice things. Notice bruises on children. Notice bruises on people. Um, notice if, you're, if, if your people aren't coming to church, if they're not doing their normal activities. Notice if your kids are complaining more, if your wife is complaining more, if your husband's complaining more. Notice. Yep, I think the key be word aware. there, notice. Notice and be aware. And do something about it. Listen. But listen. And if if this is beyond what you can handle, it's beyond your control. You know, we have this great thing called prayer. And I encourage you to pray about it first. Our reaction and our response are very, very important. And we don't need to come from a place of reaction. We need to come from a place of loving response when there is any sort of conflict in our lives. And so I I get this wisdom because conflict was my master for so, so long. And when I finally figured out what the word says about, you know, God will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding, okay, I still don't understand what it looks like because I'm just a newbie when it comes to this. But I know Jesus. And I want to learn more about Jesus because he was around a lot of chaos. But Jesus went off by himself. And as a child, that's how I had to cope too was 
I went off and I prayed. I had a, this favorite tree, a couple of them, and I went and prayed under. Go sit in nature and pray and ask God for wisdom. The book of James chapter 9, crack that open, read it. Because it says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you experience trials of various kinds. And it goes on to say how we're going to grow in our faith and grow in our character through those trials. God allowed, he knew little Jamie Ann Deering when I was being formed in my mother's womb. He knew in Psalms 1, it says it in Psalms 139, we we share this at Rodeo Queen Bible Camp all the time, right, Beck? Yes. God knew our, he knew when we were going to come to this earth. He knew the purpose and plan that he had for our life. He knew, he is such an amazing God, such an amazing creator. He knew our first days and our last day. He knew everything in between. So none of that was a surprise to God. So, yes, there were times when I'm like, and there's still times I'm like, what the heck, Lord? You know, what's up with that? And and he's like, just come on, just trust me. Let me let me teach you. Let me walk with you through that mm-hmm. garden of life. Like that skit that we did at Wow a couple years ago. Yep. You know, it's 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 walk with me and talk with me. Jesus will be your best friend. And I think that that's a key for the listeners that that do know him and you're searching for answers. He's right there with the answers. He's begging you. Give this burden to me. Give this burden to me. And there's resources and hope in our Grant County area, and I know many areas um, throughout the country. There are domestic uh, violence uh, shelters and supports. Here in Grant County, it's called New Hope Domestic Violence. And, Suzanne, and our guest it. Suzanne was talking about that because again, it, something you and both you and her both had in common yes. is, um, besides the situations you've been in, is um, Mary Kay. Mary Kay has a, a code that you can text to, and you can text someone online, and they can help you get to the resources you need locally. So, I love that about Mary Kay Cosmetics. And here at Four International, Four International, we're all about um, helping heal the moms and the mothers, so we can help heal the kids. And the children. So, I mean, that's what we're here for. That's what Real Talk with Rebecca is here for. That is what Domestic Violence Awareness Month is here for. That's what the organization that I'm representing uh, through Transcontinental Pageants as Mrs. Montana USA, it's the Pledge Campaign. It's all about taking a stand, whether you're a man taking a stand for women and saying uh, we need to treat women in a way that's honoring and loving and and gives glory to our Father in heaven, but also it's it's about, you know, the children understanding that the words that we put out are the words that, that come back to us, so we have to be careful of the things that we say to other people, because as you know, we as children, we they have no filters. When we're little, we have no filters. And so learning what that looks like and learning from a young age how to speak in a way that's um, loving and honoring and life-giving versus negative and tearing down and, and mean and, and just plain mean, and then, of course, women, learning who to allow to love you and, and what kind of love to allow in. So we are about resources. So if you need resources, please feel free to reach out to us um, here on the, the podcast. Yeah. You can go to the Anchor podcast and you can leave a message. 
Um, you can email us through Facebook at 4-F-O-R-E International, F-O-R-E, 4 International. Ambassador Coaching is another one through 4 on Facebook that you can reach out to. And, of course, Jamie, share with them. We're going to wrap this up for this first episode. I have I have two two things I would like for you to touch on. One, what is, a uh, again, I asked the question, and I know we kind of got sidetracked from it, is, when God says nothing can happen without his permission, what would you say to families that say, then why does he let things happen to children? I want you to touch on that, and then I want you to give your resources of how people can reach out to you, um, because I think that's just an important um, message to leave, because I think we'll find encouragement in it, because you yeah. have survived it, and many have, and many will, and it's just our, our job to get out and be loved, be loved on, you know, love them like Jesus does, and get them the resources that they need. Yes. Well, I I want to say that um, growing up in church, um, I grew up thinking that God was just this big, mean guy that, um, you know, if I broke the rules, I was going to burn in hell. I mean, I I was grown, grew up in in a strict Southern Baptist church that you know, the deacons thumped on our heads if we squirmed. So, um, you know, there goes another episode. But uh, uh, I want people to know that God allows things to happen like he did in the book of Job to people, just like he came to, to, to set the captives free. He allows things to happen. He is a loving God. He loves us, but he allows things to happen so that he can work in and through people to bring glory to his kingdom. And I know that might sound messed up to some people. Why would a loving God do that? I'm not God. I'm learning His Jesus' ways. I'm learning more about the nature of my Heavenly Father But those are some questions I'll probably be asking in heaven because his ways are not our ways. And so in our human mind, there's no way we can rationalize or try to um, figure out why God has allowed some of these things to happen. I have had several friends um, that have lost uh, children mothers that and fathers that have lost children at a young age and i have had them say why why did god take my child why did god allow for my baby to die why um i don't know the answer to that i just know that there is a greater purpose somewhere in your life that God will show you down the road and to just trust him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your spirit. God's word says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now, in all of your ways, even in the sorrow, I I just had a dear friend Last year, her daughter was in a tragic car accident. She had severe brain damage. Oh, 
they went through a whole year, over a year of medical treatments to save this beautiful young girl. And she recently passed. The girl did. And I remember when her mama got pregnant with her. And I, I walked through... It saddens me. I don't know the answers to that, Becky. But I do know that God, through that, strengthens people just like he strengthened me. I'm so much stronger and so much better than I could have imagined because of the things that I went through. And I do have to say that because of the things that I went through, I am now able to help other people go through them and walk through them, walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because God is with us. I can do that now, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. So I don't know the answer other than to think God's word and to stand on God's word. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think there – I think that's exactly where, where I was hoping you would go with that because I don't think there is an answer. And and sometimes there's so many conflicting – you know, I, I, when I say conflicting, I think of someone who's trying to understand and reason out things. You always tell me, go spirit, go spirit. And if you don't know how to to be in your spirit, it's hard because you live in your flesh and you live yeah. in, in your carnal carnalness. And so those that get stuck in that carnalness can't go spirit and they can't understand that God – knows the number of our days god knows every hair on our head he formed us in our mother's womb and that the fact is is that we live in a fallen world and we live in a place that is full of evil and evil does exist and we spend so much time in this culture glorifying evil yes that we forget that just as much as there is a part of this culture that's glorifying evil we need to glorify the good and the hope and the promise that god leaves for us and has for us and that we have an eternity because as there was a gentleman that i used to work with at the radio station in spokane they called him coyote and i don't know if anyone will remember him on the stations over in the northwest of washington but his name his radio call name was coyote and he always signed up you know about enjoying life because nobody's getting out of here alive and so the reality is is we we are all passing through this place we just all have different time frames and that's up to god and i think that's one of the things that's given me peace as a parent yeah. and yeah. letting my children go and experience because i would just fret and have anxiety and i still work through that but yeah. it's the it's the peace of knowing that god is in control i've i've turned my kids over to him he is per, their protector and i can trust he knows the number of their days and no matter when that last day is here on earth he knew it before i before i ever would yeah. but i can rest assured where they are for eternity and i'll be with them again so why things happen i think it's just basically we live in a fallen world i mean and that's just the way it is but god is still in control and let's let's focus on what god has to say about things and how we can we can uh, move to that place from glory to glory to glory from level you know one level to the next from healing to hope and recovery and that we can be a light and a beacon for others like you are, Jamie, like Suzanne is, like so many others in this realm of domestic violence awareness is trying to tread their way. And let's rip off the Band-Aid people and let's talk about it. Let's bring it up. Let's get it into our churches. Let's get it into our communities and our groups that we're involved in. Let's get it into our homes 
and let's be accountable for how we treat other people. And if we don't know how to treat other people, then let's get to a place where we can learn how to treat other people the way God calls us to treat other people, which is with love and humility and to love them as we love the Lord. And if we don't know the Lord, then guess what? We get the opportunity to maybe find out along that journey. And that's our hope and that's our our um, our obviously desired results that we would love for those that don't know the Lord to come to know him yeah. um, and understand how wonderful it is to be in a loving relationship with the Father and let him allow us, allow him to teach us how to treat people. And one of the, one of the chapters of the Bible that gives me a lot of hope and to just tie this up in a nice little bow today, Becky, is Romans chapter 8. It's it's a very powerful, the whole word of God from Genesis to Revelation is the living word of God. Jesus came as the living word of God onto this earth. And, and the written word of God is, is living. And Romans chapter 8, there's so much hope in that, and there's if you if you really study it, if you really dig in deep, um, because God is for us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. And that He does work all things for the good yep. for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And every single person was born for a purpose. Every life, it doesn't matter how we got here on earth it doesn't matter if we came out of wedlock if whatever however there's many ways to get here uh, or or if we were you know created through a loving marriage there is a purpose and a plan for each precious life and that life is um, it's very very precious and it's very um it has value. It, it, it has value, but it's like the wind. It comes and it goes. And it's like the light, light shining, like flickering on the light. Lives, there's been so many deaths here lately in this this past year with the pandemic and everything. And people that we didn't think we would lose so young in life that were precious to us got this awful virus and they've passed or they've died in tragic car accidents or some sort of accident, something has happened, and the Lord took them home at a time on earth that we did not believe that it was their time, but it was God's time. Yes. And I can't, God's ways are not our ways, and his reasons are his reasons, and and we get to trust him as a loving heavenly father and when we have when we grow up and it's important just to to finish this to say when we grow up with a a a father that has abused us sometimes those lines those things are very hard to learn from a childhood perspective because you take that on into your adulthood and if you aren't taught the word of god and don't have a personal relationship with him those lines get blurred very quickly because you're just yes. like, you don't understand. You know, people are praying, Heavenly Father. It's like, and they say the word Father, it triggers people. So mm-hmm. that have been abused as, as a child. And so um, 
people need to be aware. They need to speak up. They need to reach out. That's the third step. Reach out for help and have the hope that this too shall pass. And with the work and with the perseverance of that, it is not microwavable. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to trust the process. The resources that we have are good resources. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can get you the help that you need, and, and there is hope, and, and we will stand in the gap for you for prayer. That's one of the great things about the four sisters, the four international ambassador sisters, is we have a prayer group, and we have intercessors all over the world that will pray for you and to intercede for you, and and, and we want to help you. So, thank, Becky, thank you for allowing me to share part of my story. I'm excited to continue the Whatever God has, other other doors He has to open, because um, in in the years that I've that I've lived, there is wisdom that has been gained yep. through the tragedy and through the triumph, and I'm honored and blessed to be able to share it with everyone, share it with the world world, and I appreciate you, my love. Thank oh, you. You betcha. You know, iron sharpens iron, and it's through the muck and the mire that we. You know, rise through the ashes. You know, we rise up like phoenixes. We flourish like butterflies. And as you say, it's the holy crap moments that help us uh, really get an understanding of and perspective of healing and so forth. So I'm excited for our next episode. But, yes, Jamie, um, thank you so much for touching on um, some memories from your childhood. I know that that's never easy. Uh, real quick before we close out, can you just give uh, our listeners um, places where they can find you? whether it be on social media or websites or what have you, if they want to find resources from you like your devotionals or how they can get in contact with you. On Facebook, uh, my devotion uh, page is called Cowgirl Devotion. Also, Rodeo Queen University or You Rock Ranch, just the letter U, Rock Ranch. You can get a hold of me there. My website is being reconfigured, um, but right now you can find us at rodeoqueenuniversity.com. And on Instagram, it's Rodeo Queen U. So uh, usually, if you just Google Rodeo Queen, Rodeo Queen University will come up there. We're we're blessed with that, and um, um, I have a heart to help, and it's uh, young women and and men and children that are going through this. Um, And please, please be aware. Please take the time and and to reach out. Because there Amen. is hope for your for your healing, and it is, and you are capable in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Well, thank you, Jamie, for for being my guest today. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll get this podcast out to you guys, and we'll we'll reschedule or schedule additional time with Jamie to continue on in her journey. Because, like I said, she has quite um, a life of experience to talk about this situation that we're talking about this month: Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We have to see something, say something, and do something. We can't be silent. We need to speak up. I encourage you all to take the pledge. The pledge campaign you can find against domestic violence can also be found on uh, Facebook. And we're really excited to be able to advocate, collaborate, and connect for those um, of us that have walked through it to get the information out to you. So thank you. Until next time, this is Rebecca Matson with Real Talk with Rebecca. And I want to say thank you, God bless, and we will talk to you next time. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Talk with Rebecca, brought to you by Empire Concepts, The Legacy Project, and 4International.